This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the Give and Go. I'm your co-host Reynoso here with my boy. Soltero, what's up guys? Guys, before we get into anything, I want to do a quick shout out to the New England Revolution for gifting us these beautiful new edition just announced today Boston Tea Party kit. I absolutely love it. So once again, shout out to the New England Revolution for hooking the Give and Go boys up now brother we are here after a month of being in asia and yeah. covering the beautiful afc asian cup that saw qatar lift the trophy and i think i want to make the main purpose of this episode to be about catching up about mm-hmm. catching up on those things that we missed out on for an entire month man because so much happens in the football world and i think we have to start i think we have to start with acknowledging the other winner, the other continental ah, yeah, winner, yeah. with Ivory Coast lifting the AFCON, man. A beautiful, beautiful celebration that happened there as well. Another host nation winning the trophy. A beautiful thing to see, man. An insane thing to see. Congratulations yes. to the Ivory Coast yes. host nation here in 2023 AFCON. You know what's funny, though, is that I watched two AFCON games this year. Just two. The opener and the final. <sighs> And obviously, if you watch this tournament, you know Ivory Coast was in both of those games. <laughs> and I saw them win both times. It was actually pretty crazy. The final itself, Nigeria ultimately just didn't show up. But I think it was just due to a really good energy from Ivory Coast. And ultimately, what is a brand new team. But they went through so much in this tournament, bro. Like, what they barely qualified yeah. with yep. just three points after the group stage. But then really found momentum after they fired their coach yep. after the group stage. Bro, crazy. Like that, that's crazy, but it's it's so AFCON. I honestly think that happens at least once every tournament. Like a coach gets fired mid tournament, and then they figure it out later. <laughs> it's pretty nuts that that does even happen, or that an FA even considers that man. But yeah, Ivory Coast were the better team against Nigeria, but I don't think Nigeria should honestly be that phased by this loss. They put up a good match, but they're also missing players like Victor Boniface, for example. I just think you know. I think for Nigeria, their wing play got completely shut down by Ivory Coast and the midfield just couldn't pick up the pieces. But one thing I think Nigeria should be definitely looking forward to is, dude, they have a really solid back line. Truste Kong, Ola Aina, Zaidu plays for Porto. Really good defense, honestly. So if they can just figure out how to really maximize their wing play, Nigeria's going to be re- a really, really good team in the coming years. I wonder I wonder what this game would have looked like had Nigeria hosted it instead. Would Ivory Coast even have made it that far? Because mm. I just think we saw a continuing theme of host magic in these tournaments, man. I mean, this embodies it more than I think anything I've ever seen in football with Qatar winning the Asian Cup and Ivory Coast winning the AFCON. And I just hope it sets a precedent for 2024. Do we see host nations go on deep championship winning runs with the Copa America happening here in the United States and the Euros happening in Germany, bro? Yeah, one of the biggest takeaways was exactly that. Host nation energies in the air for sure. And I'm hoping, Imagine? praying it continues for the Copa America. Imagine? And low-key, even Euros. I'll go Germany. Where's you know? the OFC region uh, tournament, bro? OFC is going to be in... Uh, <laughs> Fiji? Uh, no, it's in... Uh, oh, I think it's in Vanuatu. Vanuatu. Yeah, yeah, yeah Vanuatu. exactly. Okay. So yeah, honestly, yeah, screw it. Let's go Vanuatu Let's go five for five Let's here. go five for five. This would be nuts. <laughs> but... Also, a lot of what I heard since, and I didn't really follow AFCON, but we were vocal about that at the beginning, was 
this was one of the craziest AFCONs ever. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm That's hearing. What I'm hearing. And you, you look at the results and it definitely is crazy. But, you know, I'm going to go ahead and go the other way and also say one of the craziest Asian Cups ever too. I think the only reason why it doesn't get as much recognition is simply because the players just aren't as recognizable, right? Obviously. there. I mean, there are more African yeah. players in Europe than there are Asian 100%. players. So I think it's justified that the headlines definitely swayed more towards AFCON. But, bro, Australia, South Korea. Korea, Japan, Iran, none of them made it to the final. Oh, Saudi That's Arabia. That's ridiculous. Saudi Arabia, <laughs> it's ridiculous that not even one of the yeah. big five in Asia made it to the final. So if you think about it that way, this was an insane Asian Cup no, as well. No, 100%. Yeah. Dude, I think everyone would agree with that because our comments were filled with so many Asian Cup fanatics that have followed the tournament for so long that we're saying the same thing. Like, we're seeing a historic Asian Cup. I mean, they just it just so happened that they are both at the same time, man. Yeah. Like, we, we had to miss the AFCON so we could cover the Asian Cup. But the numbers, the fixtures, the results I was seeing over in Africa were just mind-boggling, bro. I mean, Equatorial Guinea at one point killed Ivory Coast, Dude. man. And they were looking like title contenders. Like, so many fans. Favorites. Morocco losing the round of 16, I believe. Egypt losing out as well. I just I saw so many crazy results that I was like, man, if I was in Afcon, if I was in Africa right now, we'd probably be losing our minds just as much, man. Oh, absolutely. And for viewers out there who are hoping we do cover Afcon, we will. We'll be here in 2025 in Morocco fully covering that tournament. So don't worry, we're going to get our AFCON fixed for sure. Yes, sir. And let's stay in the international realm for a little bit because while we were covering these tournaments, a major, major announcement was made mm. regarding the 2026 FIFA World Cup and more specifically where the World Cup final was going to be hosted at. There were potential nominees. SoFi Stadium, we mentioned in the past that that would be one of our favorite U.S. stadiums to get picked. Azteca, perhaps, if they were, if they were to get selected. AT&T Stadium being rumored at one point to be selected as the final place to play in the World Cup of 2026. But at the end of the day, man, it's MetLife Stadium that gets the final for 2026. New Jersey, East Rutherford, I believe, yeah. will be hosting the final of the World Cup. Your initial reaction? I mean, to be completely honest, I'm not surprised at all, dude. I expected the World Cup final to either be in LA or New York, really, just because they're metropolises of the United States. If you're a foreigner, you think U.S. City, you're thinking L.A. or you're thinking New York City. The fact that Dallas even flirted with the opportunity, I think was just that. It was just flirting. FIFA was trying to make L.A. and New York jealous. That way, <laughs> that's why they went down to Dallas, bro. They were like, all right, if they don't initially <laughs> want it, side chick, Dallas bro. was a side chick, bro. <laughs> it was never real. And I, I, know, I, I know the FIFA officials were here in Dallas, yeah. but it was just because SoFi was being a little stingy on the, yeah. the money aspect of it. And I think there was what transportation uh questions in new york but it was all for show so that the la executives and the new york executives could push a little harder and beg fifa to go to mm -hmm. one of their cities mm -hmm. i truly i never even considered bro like the middle of the country in Dallas, Texas, mm. bro. It's a beautiful stadium. Texas is beautiful, an enormous man. state. We could handle a World Cup final, but from a cultural perspective, I just never considered it, man. I, I really didn't. So it going to New York, I think I'm not surprised by it, but also it's the right decision. We got to have it in a huge over city. So, over SoFi? I, no, I prefer well, SoFi. Oh, uh, we, we should have. Uh, yeah, we should have gone to SoFi. Wasn't there was a huge like uh, d debate on SoFi ever getting it? Like it was made early on that SoFi was just like, no, we don't want it. Like, wasn't there a huge row between the owners and yeah, FIFA? I, the Whereas like New York was way more open to it. Yeah. So I just considered like, there's no way Dallas gets it just because of location. Mm -hmm. And yeah, LA or New York, I think were the only real mm -hmm. options here. So yeah, SoFi would have been dope. I just think politics aside, I understand politics get involved, but politics aside, I much prefer the advanced technology oh. of SoFi Stadium and the way that Gold Cup final was hosted between Mexico and Panama, I thought was a great representation of what we could see in 2026. Damn. I don't know if I've seen that for MetLife, honestly, in, in terms of a foot, hosting a footballing event yet. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. It's going to yeah. be great. But I would have personally preferred SoFi when it comes to the U.S.-specific stadium. But I do want to quickly just put to rest, um, send my regards to the idea, or rather just the the fascination, whatever you want to call it, of Azteca potentially hosting the tournament. Sure. Because if there was a right answer at the end of the day, it would have been Azteca. Because when you think of a tournament as legendary and as iconic as the World Cup itself, 
I think it's important to attach history to it. And what stadium here in the Americas has more history than Azteca, man? El Azteca has hosted Pelé, it has hosted Maradona back in 1970 and then in 1986. I would have loved to see the modern iteration of Azteca, El Azteca, hosting a modern great, whoever it might be, Erling Holland, Messi, Mbappé, Ronaldo, whoever it might be, man, hosting them in what's already been such a storied venue that's seen legends lift a trophy there as well. That idea was something that so many fans of the sport fell in love with and honestly were ultimately surprised by when they saw the selection of MetLife or SoFar or even AT&T Stadium being considered because it felt like the easy choice was there. But I do think what prioritize itself in this situation was the fact that because the USA has more games to be hosted at during the World Cup, I think it's like 60 games versus yeah. like 10 in Mexico, then it very clearly has to be in the USA. But I think that ultimate decision is something that leaves a lot of football fans a little bummed about the missed opportunity FIFA had here. Yeah, and the only reason why I considered New York and LA to be the only true locations that FIFA were considering is because this World Cup is being billed as USA and friends, yeah. right? Basically what you just said. <laughs> so for that reason, I was like, okay, it has to be in one of the major cities here in the States. But yeah, the, the story of Azteca would have been insane, but there's still going to be history made. 100%. And I, I really like that they did this. FIFA announced that the Azteca is going to open the tournament. Yes, And yes. I think that's a great way to kind of you know, uh, make it's amends it's here. terrifying, bro. Mexico's going to open the World Cup. Jesus Christ, it's, dude. I know. Jesus Christ. It's this awesome. could be bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this could be bad. Could be nuts, bro. Oh, God. I, I hope we rig the shit out of this, man. Give us an easy tournament. Easy first game. That's all I ask. Easy first game. You that's could. all I ask for. I want to see us at least get a victory in that first game in front of the Azteca, man. Like, it's a home game. Yeah. Like, they, the idea of it is crazy, but it does scare me a little. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's a higher chance There's you'll get a weaker team because the World Cup's being expanded so greatly. That's true. But, I mean, who knows, bro? I mean, we saw Tajikistan put up a good fight in the Asian Cup. So <laughs> maybe even you get like a favorable draw, quote unquote, it might still be kind of tricky. But yes, yeah. Mexico is going to be opening up 2026. And I think it's going to be an insane, insane event to see. I want to have some fun here. I want to have some fun Let's here some with fun, the, the, the basis of this episode being that we're trying to catch up on so many things. I wanted to look back on. A little game we played a few months ago where the question was, how serious is this team or how serious is this team situation? And you put a number to it. So as an example, I'll mention Lyon. We talked about them potentially getting relegated at the time after an awful, awful start to the season. You said that you would not take that serious until 30 games into League One. Well, now we're 21 games into the season and Lyon's in 13th place. Three points outside of the relegation zone. Remember, it's 15th place in Ligue 1 because there's mm -hmm. less teams. So that's mm -hmm. still kind of in contention. So for that one, we'll leave it until the 30th game yeah. to check back in. To check back. Yeah, sure. But you get the gist of what I'm trying to do here, oh, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Next up, we have Girona winning La Liga. Yeah. You said that you would not take them serious until after 30 games were played in La Liga. We're 24 games into the season, and they're five points behind first place Real Madrid. Well, let's talk about that one real quick because mm -hmm. this one's very relevant. They just played each other, Madrid-Girona, at the weekend. And I caught the game and was so disappointed in Girona because they just got killed. And conversely, so impressed with Madrid because the little brother comes into town and, <laughs> you know, they're trying to beat you. They're trying to take you over. But Madrid oh, yeah. said, absolutely not. And they babied Girona, bro. They murdered them and even if the, even if Madrid didn't score as many goals as they did let's say they just would have won one two nil because maybe they were a little off in yeah. front of goal they killed them in every single facet on the pitch regardless no. so it wasn't even a contest Girona tried they tried to play the dynamic football that has been so successful against everybody else in La Liga but Madrid from back to front were better in every single piece of the pitch bro like yep. I was I, I was I don't know what I was expecting just because Girona had a hard time against them in the first half mm -hmm. of the season. So I was wondering, maybe it'll be a little bit tighter here, but now Girona just cannot play a team like Madrid. They just can't yeah. match up to them. Nah. And it, I think it kind of tells you where the rest of La Liga yep. is right now, more so than where Girona and Madrid are, honestly. Uh, yeah, the rest of La Liga, not I would say not playing good football. But I, no, yeah, I, I kind of previewed that, though, at the beginning 100%. of the season. La Liga's lacking very much so offensively. How about that Vinny goal, man? 
to start oh it off. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> to start it off. That man. goal was crazy. Yeah, that, that that stood out to me because <laughs> yeah, uh, he's been in, in in Vinny's terms, he's been a little quiet this season yeah. and from that moment on, he's been playing incredible football nonstop now for Real Madrid and scoring a goal like that in such an important moment early in the game. I mean, that was just killer, dude. Killer for Juno's mentality, I think, which then went on to see them concede four goals and then yeah. even a penalty that luckily didn't go in. But this could have been a 5-0 affair. I think, if anything, the only notable thing to come from this match was Bellingham's injury. Another yeah. player getting injured for Real Madrid. It's becoming... A very scary trend for this Madrid side because you now have Alaba out, you have Militao out, Courtois, Bellingham, your golden boy out. And there's been players like Vinny Jr. missed a good amount of time throughout the season to start. You have Chouameni now having to start at center back because of lack of options back there, man. So when it comes to Real Madrid's success, maybe not in La Liga because they will still have the quality to win it, I think, at this point. But Champions League, if you're trying to give foresight into what that will look like, it's all about their health right now, man. And it's not looking good with Bellingham being out for, I believe, an entire month. Yeah, that's going to be really tough for Madrid. They're going to need Bellingham, not not just this month, but for the rest of the season to finish off La Liga. But more importantly, as you said, to try to make a deep run in the Champions League. I don't think Madrid can get to the semifinal without Bellingham. Oh, 100%. They just can't. With him, though, honestly, anything's kind of possible. Those, they're the contenders, man. I, yeah. I think them and Man City, those yeah. are the only two teams I consider. And to quickly harp on that, they both played today, uh, both playing away from home in the round of 16. Yep. We'll give our uh, preview and predictions maybe later down the line, maybe quarterfinals, we'll get into the Champions League. But mm-hmm. I watched both games, and Real Madrid struggled a little bit more than Manchester City today, winning 1-0 against RB Leipzig, to a many getting a clean sheet back there. Good for him. Nice. Luton having a big match as well. But I don't know. I feel like that impetus is missing offensively for Real Madrid. That impetus that Bellingham provides so often, that surprise factor, that ability in the air from outside the box, that control in the midfield. I mean, you're just missing such a key player, I believe, in that sector of the pitch that when it comes to his presence, I really do think it's enough to decide whether Real Madrid makes it to a semifinal or yeah. finals appearance or gets knocked down the quarters by a really good team. Regardless, to get a good result today, 1-0 away from home, whereas Manchester City won 3-1 away from home against Copenhagen. Both contenders looking good at the end of the day. Back to the numbers. We have Tottenham winning the Premier League. At the time, they were leading the table. They were looking really good. I brought up that idea, and you said you would not take it serious until after 18 games played. We've now played 24 games in the Premier League, and they're in fourth place. I'd say firmly out of the title race. I would say so, too. But the title race is shaping up to be so dramatic for the Premier League this season. Three horse race, not two like it usually Mm -hmm. is or that it was last year. We have Arsenal, Manchester City, and Liverpool. Your beloved Liverpool vying for the title, all within three points of each other. No matter which way you put it, City have a game in hand, but that would only put them a point above Liverpool. So there's so much at stake in the Premier League. I think it's the most exciting league left, honestly, out of Europe's top five. And there's still... An insane amount of football left to be played in England, man. Like, every game, every single touch is going to start mattering for all three of these teams. And they all still have to play each other. For their, uh, Liverpool and Arsenal don't as they just played last or two weeks ago. But Manchester City still has to play either of them remaining for the season. So, this is going to be an insane ending to the Premier League. Cops leaving, bro. Mm. That you, <laughs> yeah, this is a big, this is a big uh, one. Oh, God, dude. God, man. Klopp's leaving. That adds another factor, another layer of just what this trophy would mean for Liverpool. Um, for me specifically, I mean, this is... It was heartbreaking news. It's like Simeone, man, deciding to leave oh, Atletico Madrid. Man, just, easy, easy, just easy. more impactful, if anything. So fuck you, man. <laughs> easy there, man. God, man, I, I still can't really fathom the idea of Jurgen Klopp not being on the sidelines for this Liverpool oh, side, dude. man. Created himself, and within his own world, a dynasty. Because what he made out of this Liverpool team has been... What he's done with them, with the talent he was given, the money, the financial backing, I think he's actually he's absolutely superseded any sort of expectation we could have had for him, and he's created himself into an absolute icon for this Liverpool side, dude. So everything that is Jurgen Klopp, man, it's just it can't be replicated. It really can't. His heart belongs to Liverpool, and our heart belongs to him. And so to hear him announce that at the end of the season, he's 
officially out, just kind of mentally tired, a little a little over it, a little low on energy now to yeah. be able to take care of the team. It's perfectly reasonable, but at the same time, man, like what what a journey it has been. And it's just going to be a completely different era that we're going to have to usher in with Klopp being gone, man. So there's nothing more that I want than to see Jurgen Klopp lift the Premier League trophy now with a proper send-off that would be absolutely beautiful if it happens. Do you like that he announced he was leaving right in the middle of the season? Does that matter to you? And even, like you could even take your fanship out of the equation. Is it right for a storied coach to announce they're leaving right in the middle of a grueling, grueling mm. season? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to wait maybe till the end and just maybe not even announce it after the season's done, after all is settled? Maybe you win it, maybe you don't. Maybe maybe then you're like, mm-hmm. all right, by the way, guys, this this was it for me. I'm, I'm yeah. out of here. Like, it, I don't it, know. I think it's kind of... If you're Klopp, yes. If you're Xavi, no. That's what he did, bro. Xavi's leaving as well. I don't know if you caught that one. They're both doing it. That kind of makes sense. Xavi Xavi announced it, uh, I think, about a month ago when they lost really badly to, I don't remember who, that he was going to leave at the end of the season as well, like a week after Klopp. And he got made fun of because people were like, he thinks he's Jurgen Klopp announcing this. Oh, right, really? But I think the context (laughs) is way different, man. Like, if anything, I can see Klopp's announcement just adding so much more fuel and fire to these players. I don't see it having any sort of backlash, whereas for Xavi... I mean, that locker room, what, what's there to play for now, man? If you know your coach is leaving at the end of the day, seeing the state of the entire club, I, I actually think Xavi should have waited until the very end or should have just been sacked or resigned in a more proper manner. Klopp leaving early, though, or at least announcing it early, I think is only going to help this team propel them emotionally and, and motivation-wise. Yeah, it sets it up for a storybook ending if they can pull it off. I just think adding a variable of you're going to have to find a new coach. And if you're a player like on the fringe of Liverpool playing, like, are you going to be worried about the coaching changes? Does it matter if you excel for Klopp now? Like, I I think it's kind of weird. And then also, I don't think the players would get nervous because these are professionals. But what if it gets really, really dramatic at a certain point when you're playing Manchester City in March and the game's 1-1 and for some reason you start thinking of good old Jurgen Klopp in your head, you know, like... Do you need that extra emotion? Would you mm. want that? I don't know. Like, mm. I just think it it could get a little heavy at times. Maybe not even for the players, but for the fans themselves. Like, this you're saying like if Liverpool gets second place, the players will feel like they failed. And not that they would, but there would just be some weird element of that. You know what I mean? Like, especially if it comes down to like a two, three point loss of the title, it'd be like, damn, we couldn't do it for Klopp, knowing that he had announced it six months earlier. Like, yeah, it'll, it'll hurt it's more. Just a, for it's, sure. Yeah, it's yeah, for it's just sure. like an element of it's risky. It's risky. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't think it's actually going to be bad because, like I said, I mean these are one of the most professional athletes in the world playing right now at yeah. Liverpool. So I think they're going to be able to handle the pressure no problem. It's just like more of like an emotional element that gets added to this. It's going to be really interesting to see, especially bro, if it comes down to the wire in the last like four games of the season. Oh, dude, it's going to be, be nuts. Yeah, I don't even want to think about no, that. No, no, I don't want to either. Like, their nerves are going to be just extra because of the context of what's going on yeah but i mean pep's gonna miss him man pep Pep seems like he will bro based off the quotes he said it's that jurgen club is at the end of the day the best rival he's ever faced and i think it is true i think people will look at the titles or the numbers uh on a surface level and and ask how was there ever a rivalry with you know man city winning what four the last five yeah they're pulling winning one but Two of those titles were by a fucking point, dude. And the Champions League bouts we saw, the the, the those matchups between yeah. both of them were some of the highest technical quality I've ever seen on a footballing pitch. I think Pep's going to absolutely 100% miss him, and I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss seeing that rivalry because, to me, it made for one of the best matches we saw in world football. Yeah, and just to reminisce a little bit more on Klopp's time at Liverpool, man, like nine years, nine years at a club. And I remember when he was brought in, There was just so much, not even controversy, but just frustration with Liverpool because they'd almost won the title under Brendan Rodgers, but then they started to dip in form. And there was just kind of like a hopelessness about Mm -hmm. Liverpool because it was like, we had the best team with Luis Suarez. We couldn't do it. We couldn't have Champions League runs. This was our best team we've had in 20 years are we, are we ever going to win it again? Is it going to be another 20-year drought before we have a chance to do it? And when Klopp came, there was the immediate success. 
He got to Europa League final with the team that he inherited from Brendan Rodgers. They lost to Sevilla, right? But that was a legendary Sevilla side. Anybody would have lost them in the Europa League final. But just the fact that Jurgen Klopp, coming from Borussia Dortmund, already employing his tactics with a team that he didn't even pick out, there was immediate hope for Liverpool in that time. And then we saw we saw what he did over the next two to five years at his time there. He built one of the best teams that Europe has ever seen, bringing in Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, Jordan Henderson comes into the fray. We see the emergence of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Andy Robertson, Virgil van Dijk. All those players became who they are under Jurgen Klopp. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then with that, Klopp won a Premier League. He did it. He, he did what a lot of Liverpool fans thought was going to be impossible he brought a premier league trophy to liverpool and then he also won the champ i think winning the champions that's a big one back-to-back appearances yes back-to-back appearances and it's why if you tell me that oh was there a rivalry rivalry between liverpool and manchester city i think you can definitely say there was because of those champions league runs that they did those two years and also winning at one time and winning the premier league that was just one of the best teams to have to play the game was that two, three-year period that Jurgen Klopp coached Liverpool. And what's crazy, man, is that that's his second phase. He is now in the third phase mm-hmm. of Liverpool with uh, some familiar faces, bro, but, but a lot of new players, man. McAllister, Soboslai, Gakpo, Darwin Nunez, Luis Diaz. Like, There's been three distinct phases that Jurgen Klopp has coached for Liverpool, and they've all been successful in their yes. own ways. But th- there's been dips, there's been you know rises and falls throughout these nine years. But for the most part, Klopp's been a winner, and that's why it's going to be a huge miss for the Premier League that he's no longer going to be coaching there. Like, yep. who's it going to be? Like yep. right now, it's still Guardiola, but you know who? who from a coaching perspective, who's really going to be yep. that guy? Maybe it's Arteta. And Postacoglu at Tottenham might be onto something, but he's still very early in his Premier League career, bro. So, like, there's a, there's, it's going to be a weird era, I think, for a little bit. Or maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Yes. Maybe they find the perfect replacement and Liverpool just keep winning. And yes. I, I could see that happening. Yes, and the perfect replacement could be somewhere in Germany <laughs> going on an undefeated streak right now and having a career of playing at Liverpool as well. And his name is none other than Xavi Alonso. We mentioned yeah. him going to Real Madrid. Fuck that idea, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want man. him at Liverpool now, bro. Yeah. But going back to what you just said about Jurgen Klopp, it's so poetic, so beautiful. It's for those reasons that you listed out. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to be incredibly biased, and I don't care what people think, man. But it's for those reasons that I think Jurgen Klopp is the greatest coach of all time. The greatest coach of all time. You look at his resume. You look what he did with the money that was given to him. His efficiency when it comes to signing players and not just having them be good, but turning into the best at their positions. A player you didn't even mention, Alisson, bro. Becomes the best at his position for three, four years, arguably, man. And you could say that for a good like three to four players of this Liverpool side that have gone on to become the best versions of themselves and the best players in their positions on the world stage with Liverpool, man. You combine that with everything he's done successfully, his achievements, his trophies, the way that he tested Pep Guardiola's Manchester City oil machine, dude. Like, to me, it's just so impressive. What he did with Mainz, what he did with Dortmund as well. Right. His career resume is one that's full of nothing but victories, man. So if you look at it, man, I do think he enters that conversation of Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, Sir Alex Ferguson, man. Like, he's right up there. He's on that Mount Rushmore of coaching, in my opinion. And for me personally, I'm always going to think of him as the greatest coach of all time because I am a Liverpool fan. But just what he did with this team, the way he lifted them up from the ashes was something I've truly never seen before. So, yes, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yes i agree uh, during club one of the best at it for sure i'm not even go- i'm not even gonna contest that claim because i think you can make an insanely good argument that he is one of the greatest coaches it's of there. all time it's, it's there completely there even before liverpool you already said it so successful at mines but his tenure at dortmund is still legendary he's the last coach to have won the bundesliga Outside of a Bayern Munich team. He's the last one to do it. Um, And you know what's crazy is that Xavi Alonso might win it this year, and then he might immediately go to Liverpool, which is like a a crazy... That'd be a crazy parallel if they're able to do it. 
And then even at Dortmund, winning back-to-back titles there, he also took that Dortmund team to a Champions League final. Yes. And if they had had maybe a little bit more luck on uh, their players being healthy, I remember Mario Götze mm-hmm. was injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lewandowski had just weirdly announced that he was going to join Bayern Munich later after that season. It was weird. Uh, but he took that team to a Champions League final, man. And they could have won it. It was an insanely good team. All well drilled by Jurgen Klopp, man. And then with, with Mines, didn't he brought them? He promoted them. I no? think he got them yeah. promoted. Yeah, and yeah. they're they're still in the Bundesliga. My goodness, <laughs> dude! Ridiculous resume. It's, it's insane. But it does bring me back to his poten- potential. You know, you could say prodigy, Xabi Alonso, who's putting up inc- insane numbers at Bayer Leverkusen. Mm-hmm. We actually brought them up. Uh, in the same conversation of how serious is this Bayer Leverkusen team, you said you would start take them, taking them serious after 26 matches in the Bundesliga as title contenders. Well, now we're 21 games into the season, and they're in first place with a five-point gap up top. I'm eager to talk about this Bayer Leverkusen side, but I won't be. I won't do it until I have you with me, man. <laughs> I need you as a believer. So, do I have to wait five more games, or have we arrived? No, no, we we've arrived. I saw the game against Bayern this past weekend, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm a month and a half off. I'm I'm, I'm five games off for sure. Like like yeah, I definitely yeah, got yeah, this yeah. one you, wrong you, because you ignored Bundesliga a little a little too much. Maybe time. that's why it's working. Maybe okay. Maybe maybe Bayern can only lose if I'm not watching. <laughs> well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, dude. Maybe, man. maybe, yeah. Maybe it doesn't need Saltero's presence, dude. But realistically, all jokes aside, Leverkusen's gonna win the league this year. I think so. I don't want you to jinx him, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we'd go no, that no, no, far no. yet. No, I'm going that far. After the performance that they just put on against Bayern, it is night and day who's the better side. Oh, yeah. And if all, all, all Leverkusen have to do is just remotely maintain this type of form, because Bayern, they're not going to go on a 12-game win streak or whatever, how many games are left. They're not going to. The team's too weak. They're too, they're too disorganized. There doesn't seem to be a direct plan between players and Thomas Tuchel. Tuchel's under fire because of such an embarrassing loss. And I just think there's a huge disconnect right now, Bayern. I mean, one of the biggest takeaways I got from that game was Bayern Munich is just a team of individuals. That's why they're in second place. The rest of the Bundesliga can't really keep up with the amount of talent that they have unless you have a really good team. Bayer Leverkusen is a really good team. They have a, an excellent plan. Even though Bayern had, what, 60 65% possession in that game, Leverkusen look comfortable because because they have the actual talent and know-how and trust in their coach on how to play against a team like Bayern. And then they hit off the counter like crazy, oh, man. Dude, they crazy, hit off the counter man. like crazy. So Bayer Leverkusen, I think, are just an incredibly well-drilled team with a lot of players in form under a very good coach. Yes. Bayern Munich are pretty much the exact opposite. The only reason why they're in second place right now is because they you know they have Leroy Sané. They have Jamal yeah, Musiala. Yeah, yeah. They have Harry Kane, right? Yeah. These are all elite players. But my my God, they don't play like a team at all. No, dude, it's actually ridiculous what this Bayer Leverkusen team is doing. I think they're having, I think now the second or third best start to the Bundesliga ever. Yeah. And the, the fact that they haven't lost a game this entire season, but we're in February, dude. It's Valentine's <laughs> week and they have not lost a game. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And the system that Xabi Alonso has put in place, the way he emphasizes his wingbacks, bro. Xabi Alonso figured out how to make his wingbacks teleport because somehow they can join these offensive opportunities like it's nothing and become extra wingers. And then all of a sudden, they're back there defending their asses yeah. off just as quickly, man. Guys like Frimpong, Frimpong or uh, Grimaldo, who's having the season of his life, I think have completely elevated this team. And it's just representative of all these other players, Inca Pie, and then a star boy like Florian Wirtz as well, just in the middle, generating so many opportunities. Yeah. This team is so stacked but it's just it's beautiful to see man it's why early on in the season I brought up the idea of I, I need to see Bayer Leverkusen get something out of this generation man that, yeah. that's what worries me so much about teams of this caliber is that they can have such good seasons but then end it without any silverware man because it's just how it happens in football it can be so brutal and so one thing I do want to highlight is that they are in the DFB Pokal either semifinal or final they've gone very deep there and Bayern 
Bayern Munich has already been knocked out. Yeah. So it looks like that is very much in contention for them. The league is very much in contention yeah, for them. Yeah. And then if anything, it's just such a shame that they're not in the Champions League, man. I know. Because this this truly could have been a team that can make it to the semifinals. Oh, yeah. With the form that they're playing in right now, I, I had the same reaction when I realized, looking back at the round of 16, I was like, oh, yeah, Bayern Leverkusen is in the Europa League. Like, Europa League. I was like, damn yes. it. I completely forgot about that. But yeah, I, I think it's just it's a missed opportunity for UEFA. Not really, obviously, for Leverkusen, but it just sucks that's that. how it goes. It, yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. It sucks that one of the most informed teams in Europe just unfortunately is not in the Champions League. Uh, but for Leverkusen themselves, they should win this league. It's only five it's points. Still five, it's still man. five. It, it, it's not a lot. It's a it's a gap, mm-hmm. right? They just need to maintain it. Just don't get in their heads. They will win this league if they just play like they're playing. Yeah. I honestly don't think there's that much pressure on them because the rest of the Bundesliga, you know, kind of like La Liga, not really playing at that oh, high yeah. of a level. So this this is it. This is it. Dortmund kind of had it last year, but they were so inconsistent. Bayer Leverkusen is the opposite of inconsistency, bro. Like, you just said it. What, 32-game unbeaten run? They have not lost this season? That's ridiculous. So this is it, man. Like, I don't think they have to do too much more to win it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The idea of Harry Kane going trophyless is <laughs> God, man. depressing and hilarious at the same time. Like, what, yeah. what, the, what is that, bro? What I, is it? Can you explain it? Do you know, dude? I, I, truly, truly, behind closed doors, what is Harry Kane thinking? I don't like. I truly, I don't there's know. no way he'll ever be vocal about it, yeah. right? Because you'd have to be asking Harry, "Why do you keep losing?" You, you, yeah. He'll never. You can't answer that, but. It's kind of kind of crazy, and honestly, if I was Harry, I'd start thinking like, "Shit, am I in the wrong like, business?" He, he needs to do what Mahomes and the Chiefs did, which is sell his soul to the devil, dude. <laughs> and he needs to just fucking figure it out so he can go on to dominate the sport, man. Because the, the lack of trophies is starting to really bother me with the skill level that he is at, man. One of the best players at his position that I've ever seen, not having a single trophy in his career, joining Bayern Munich, and not doing that is insane. It's just insane. Well, yeah, it's also kind of pathetic from like a Thomas Tuchel or Bayern team point of mm-hmm. view because in that game against Leverkusen, they, it didn't even seem like they realized Harry Kane was their number nine because they never looked to really service him, not the way that Tottenham did. It, Tottenham had one game plan, and it was get the ball to Harry Kane, and it worked because he's an elite striker. Not only that, Harry Kane has proven himself to be fantastic with his back-to-goal. At Tottenham, when he was honestly at his best, he would drop deep and service his wingers and then make runs into the box and get involved with that type of combination. I didn't see any of that at Bayern, man. I didn't see any of that in that game against Bayer Leverkusen. They're not really using his, uh, his strong suits. They're not implementing what he's really good at doing on the pitch. They're just kind of using his finishing ability. But that's not going to be relevant if you can't service him the ball. So I just think it's a waste, honestly. It's like, yeah, Kane has a curse on him for sure. But Bayern Munich as a team, for the coaching staff too, yeah. they're wasting him. Yeah, they're yeah, wasting people him. People are going to focus in on Harry Kane and his story, but this Bayern team is one of the weirdest yeah. ones we've seen in many years for them, honestly. Yeah, yeah and that, that is true. Like, you look at this team, there, there's a lot of talent for Bayern Munich, but... I, I, as I said at the beginning, they look so disconnected, and that's so strange for a Bayern team. Because if there's anything, maybe they don't have the talent in certain positions compared to Madrid or Manchester City, but they're always at least very yes, organized. Yes. Complete opposite, man. Like They have all the big names, but it's just not working. Other teams we talked about, we mentioned Ajax, potentially getting relegated at the time, being in the relegation zone. You said you would not take that serious until after 30 games. Well, after 21 games, they're in fifth place. It was yeah. a complete... Uh, fluke yeah complete yeah, complete yeah, fluke yeah, yeah. and then lastly we Dutch had uh, <laughs> yeah. uh psv undefeated as well after 21 games which is crazy i think dutch league <laughs> <laughs> atleti winning la liga was the last one 
Uh, you said you would not take that serious until 18 games after the season has started. We're now 24 games into the season, and they're in fourth place. Yeah, I think, honestly, right at game 18, I was like, yeah, we're not winning. Okay. Yeah, okay. so I think I got this one, honestly, got that spot one. on for my own team. It just is what it is. There's a chance we could do something in the Champions League. Oh, I do League. think so. I, think I do think you got to get past Inter. Uh, very yeah, strong you gotta, you gotta Inter side. But I, it's I never let, easy. <laughs> never easy for Atleti. Never easy. <laughs> but I, I, I trust us to put at least a tight game. I don't think we're going to get killed here. I don't know if we're going to go through, though. I'm, root, I'm rooting for Atleti. I, I hope you know that. We have a chance. I, like I, just, I, I just know we have a decent chance. And then we had uh, a, a lot of messages we received just, I think, last week with um, Luton Town. Luton winning Town. their fifth game of the season early on. You have predicted they would not win more than three games. <laughs> Luton Town, man, a complete, uh, this is an accomplishment here, man. Yes. A complete success, winning five games in the league and now being outside the relegation zone due to Everton losing 10 points and being in 18th place instead. So it's incredible, man. They're in 17th place, Luton Town. It's very close. But they got their fifth win against Brighton when they trashed them 4-0. And they're looking really good. Some people even saying, some Luton Town fans saying that them staying in the Premier League is more impressive than Leicester winning it in 2016. <laughs> Something I highly disagree with, but it is very comparable in the sense of this is pretty crazy what they're doing. That is why I only had them winning three games was that kind of comparison because I got this one completely wrong in the sense that Luton's offense is not bad. Like, I, I, the reason why I didn't think they'd win is because I thought they were always going to get outscored. Because I consider this Luton offense to be championship caliber and nothing more. And I don't think you can play in the Premier League if you don't have Premier League type of offensive pieces. And I thought that Luton Town just didn't have that. I, I was wrong. They do. They're, they actually score a decent amount of goals, man. Like, that's honestly not their problem anymore. It's just their defense now. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, Luton you, Town, yeah, congratulations. Gotta, I, yeah, they're playing at a lot higher level than I thought they would reach. 100%. And if they actually manage to stay in the league, I, I think it'll be like a ridiculous accomplishment for them to actually be able to do it. Ross Barkley is playing some really good football from what I'm seeing, man. Ross mm. Barkley being their standout player. Let's do a quick Patreon question from Keenan Anderson. If you guys want to ask us any questions, you want a message to reach us, join our Patreon, five bucks a month. It helps feed producer Rudd and keep everybody happy. Keenan Anderson submitting this week's question, asking us for our thoughts on blue cards. Blue cards, blue cards, my friend. For those who may not know, let me give you a description of what this idea of a blue card is. It is a card which would allow referees to penalize players by sitting out a match for 10 minutes for offenses that feel more serious than one that would result in a yellow card, but less severe than one that would see a player earn a red card. FIFA immediately responded to these rumors and to these statements saying that the reports of the so-called blue car at elite levels of football are incorrect and premature. Mm. Any such trials, if implemented, should be limited to testing in a responsible manner at lower levels, a position that FIFA intends to reiterate when this agenda item is discussed at the IFAB AGM on March 1st. So, <laughs> rest easy. It won't be yeah. happening yet. Yeah. But the idea is being proposed of a blue card. What do you think, my friend? I... When I first saw the article that was reporting on it, I read two sentences and then I clicked out of it. Mm. I have no care in the world for a blue card. I don't care. It seems like a shitty idea. Uh, I don't hey, language, bro. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to live in a world where blue cards are implemented. So until it actually happens, I'm gonna pretend it's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, though. That's yeah. fair, man. But I, I, it's just you know, I, I found out that in 1970 was when they introduced the yellow card. Uh. I was like, what, what were they doing before that, bro? So it's kind of crazy to think that like, are we missing another card, man? Like, <laughs> are we are, are we just in the past era right now? Are we just on some old head shit? Like, oh, don't change the oh, game yeah, that yeah, I yeah, love. Yeah. But 20 years from now, we'll be like, damn, really glad they implemented these blue cards because it really helps uh, fulfill that vague area of a foul call that sometimes players get, get caught into. Yeah, I mean... Being realistic here, if blue cards are eventually implemented, there's got to be rules associated to how they are, right? Obviously, right now, it's very vague. Like, okay, it's a little bit more than a yellow, a little less than a, a red. So you're out for 10 minutes. Maybe it's also more towards dissent if you're like, you know, mouthing off mm -hmm. more. Maybe they're like, all right, 10 minutes, you know, get on the bench for a little bit. I don't know. 
Obviously, there's gonna be way more detail when this actually starts being implemented at the lower levels. That's when I'll start looking at it. That's when I'll be like, okay, how are they actually using it? Because my biggest fear is if it becomes a subjective thing, right? Oh, God. The, the way FIFA's going right now with technology is to erase subjectivity, right? That's the whole idea. Don't leave it down to a ref's eyeball. Leave it down to technology, which is black and white. Yeah. That I like because that is fair. There's no question if something's offside. But here, if it's like, is it, if it's just purely subjective, then I don't want it. Oh, bro, I don't imagine, want it. imagine a Mexican ref with a blue car, bro. <laughs> yeah. Good oh, Lord, God. man. You're dishing out 20 of those a game, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Mexican would be looking crazy. Yeah. yeah that's I, how, I don't know. Just, I don't know if I trust these people with these cars, man. I'll be honest. Yeah, and that's yeah. me being Mexican myself. Like, I, I think it's just a little too, a little too, um, a little too optimistic of an idea to implement yeah. because I still feel like we're seeing so many refs struggle with just basic yellow and red cards, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, like, for example, maybe if they're, like, handball in the box, blue card or something. Like, like if it's, like, black and white rules like that, I could maybe be okay with the mm-hmm. idea of it. But, yeah, like, if they, if they start just letting the ref decide, like, I think it's going to be a mess. Last thing I want to talk about is uh, Chivas. Cade Cowell. Kate, the Cade Cowell show being the more important signing here with Chicharito joining as well. Yeah. Beautiful story. One thing I love in football is when a player comes back to his boyhood club at an old age after seeing so much success. Coming back to Guadalajara, I think, is the perfect move for Chicharito at his stage of his career right now. The only reason I can't get that excited, bro, is the injuries. The injuries really scare me, man. Being out an entire season in the MLS with LA Galaxy, he had a good first season with them, but then he has not played important football in a long time now, and he's only getting older. And right now, he's he's even injured right now. He hasn't made his debut yet because I believe he's still scheduled to return in a few weeks or about a month from now. Yeah. So in the meantime, we've had Cade Cowell absolutely ball out for us in a match against Forge FC, the Canadian side in the Champions Cup, getting himself a brace, dude. Yeah. Two really quality goals here. And if anything, just the biggest question with Kate Cowell is, does he really fulfill the profile of what a Chivas player should be, which is so historic. It's so well known that Chivas players are Mexican players, that you can't sign foreign players. It's it's what's made Chivas into the team that they are now. But Cade Cowell is a player that plays for the U.S. men's national team and very clearly, even though he might have some Mexican descent, is American in my eyes with the way he speaks, the way he talks, the way he plays for the fucking U.S. national team. For sure, for sure. It's an American player playing for Chivas. Is that a sign of things to change for this club, or is this just a, a kind of a weird exception they're making for a really good striker? Well, that's what I want to ask you. It was yeah, I don't know what I'm asking. You, you. <laughs> <laughs> is when you saw that Cowell got signed by Chivas, and let's say you knew that K. Cowell does have Mexican yep. descent. It's yep. not like they're just Chivas pulling it out of exactly. their asses here, right? It's not Donovan, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Like, Cade Cowell, I looked it up, his mom's name is Amber Maldonado, right? <laughs> so I was like, okay, he's somewhat Hispanic. Are you, are you, are you okay with that? Or do you want them right. to be as Mexican as, you, as they can be, play for the Mexican national right. team? Yes. Like, does it matter to you, or is the dissent enough for you? In 2006, would have mattered to me. Mm. 2024, world's fluid now, baby. <laughs> it's very fluid, if you know what it's, I mean. Absolutely. I don't want to get into it, but... I'm open to having a little bit of uh, fluidity here. Let's yeah. be a little bit more vague with what we need, what we accept. Maybe in the uh, maybe in the future it changes, but I think right now it's perfectly fine. He has that descent. He has that. He has his mother who is Mexican. It's enough. It's enough for me to be considered for to consider him as a Chivas player through and through. El Rebaño Sagrado welcomes him with open arms. And yeah, I'm down for it in 2024. In the past, I probably would have been a little bit more stingy, I'll be honest. That makes sense, man. And he's a good player. Yeah, he's a great player. And actually, from a U.S. men's national team perspective, I'm super stoked about this signing because I think the MLS and Liga MX are on par. Just the style of play is a little bit different. So we've seen K. Cowell play his teenage years for the San Jose Earthquakes and the MLS and have decent success. His numbers aren't great, but he's been more of a dribble penetrator, kind of chaotic winger. And every year I see him slowly improve his game. And I think going to Mexico, he's only 20 years old. So it's so young. Going to a big club in Chivas, I think it's the perfect move for his career, honestly. He's going to get the same level of competition, but he'll be playing at a slightly more faster-paced league and also, in my opinion, a slightly more offensive-paced mm-hmm. league, too. 
So I think the skill level doesn't change going from MLS to Liga MX. The style is going to be a little bit more suited towards Cowell, honestly. So now I'm actually curious to see, does he continue to improve? Right or or is he going to be one of those players that just this is kind of it from this is his yeah, level because yeah. he I, I honestly think that he still has maybe two three more years of improvement and if he can become a winger that consistently assists or becomes a goal scoring winger then he's going to be a huge asset not just for Chivas but also for the USA who could use him as like a backup winger yeah. at, at major tournaments so I'm really excited to see where Cowell's career goes just on a personal basis because right now you know honestly I think his decision making is not great it hasn't been great but he has so many assets that he can continue to improve that you know maybe Chivas ultimately makes him a great great player so I'm really excited to see Cowell's career kind of just go from here on out in Liga Max and something I really like for young players that are on that sort of trajectory as Kate Cowell is getting early experience being under the big lights. Mm. I feel like the name of Chivas, the the light that it shines on a player, yeah. this stage, it's way bigger. I mean, at some points, it's considered Mexico's team. Like comparing that to San Jose Earthquakes, who shout out, love them. Shout out. But comparing them to that that club, I think it's a much smaller club in terms of just recognition and the games they play in and just the the, the name of the brand and everything. Yeah. Kid Cowell being the go-to winger for this Chivas side, I mean, it's such a big responsibility to take upon. But if he succeeds at it at 20 years old, imagine. I mean, imagine if you were 20 years old yeah, and you dude. did that, bro. Like, it would give me nothing but confidence for what is to come in the future for my career. So, like, if he's able to succeed, I think it'll be massive for his it'll be massive for the growth of his career skillfully but also mentally because i just think it'll do wonders being under a, a light that big and succeeding yeah and another exciting mls to liga mx transfer brandon vasquez who'd led the line for cincinnati last two years and done really well at doing that going to monterrey and becoming their starting number nine rogelio funes mori leaving after a insanely long stint at Monterrey and also a very successful one. I mean, he was their best striker for so, so long. And honestly, we'll probably go down as one of the best Monterrey strikers ever. Funes Mori now goes to Pumas, rival. But in, in doing so, Brandon Vasquez goes to Monterrey. And honestly, I think it's a like-for-like like direct swap for Monterrey. They really don't lose anything. He's just as physical as Funes Mori was in his prime. And I think, honestly, Vasquez is going to prove to be just a good a finisher. You didn't wish he went somewhere else, though? Like, Europe? I don't like, know if he's I heard ready. Bundesliga rumors at one point. I, personally, I don't think he's ready for Europe. Okay. I, I really don't. I think Vasquez is a great, great finisher. But... He's already like 24, though. I, I know, so. I know. That, well, that's the thing is, I don't think he'll ever reach a European mm, level. Okay. I think Vasquez is his top level is the top of MLS, the top of Mexico, and I think he's going to actually have a great career at Monterrey. And if he keeps banging in more goals, I think he'll get way more U.S. men's national team action, maybe a European call. But I think this might this might be it for Vasquez. Either way, though, I think it's a great move, and I think he's going to bang in a lot of goals in Mexico. Yeah, like a almost like a Guignac for Monterrey. Then, like he could he could be a, just a star here in the Americas. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just scoring double digit goals every season. Exactly. I mean, I saw his debut. The goals he scored at home from Monterrey were beautiful. The crowd was loving it, and he seemed to look right at home with just that system that they have in place. So I think he's a great ad. He's a fantastic finisher, and I think he's going to fit Monterrey perfectly.